everyone. Welcome to Way of Life Podcast, where we firmly believe that everyone picks a way in life and what way you pick is extremely important and directly affects how you live. In this podcast, we seek to interview people from all around Australia and beyond on life's most important topics. Whether you're a Christian, a skeptic, or someone with a whole heap of questions, this podcast is for you. My name is Matt, a pastor living in Brisbane, Australia. This is Way of Life Podcast. Welcome everyone to uh, tonight's podcast. Um, so for those of you who are joining us for the first time, uh, maybe at Wyndham Baptist where we host a lot of these podcasts, um, we do this once a month. This is what we do every single week. Um, but this is basically a time, uh, we, we call this Way of Life podcast and it's a time for us to discuss uh, many, many different kind of topics. Um, and what we believe is that everyone picks a way in life and the way that you pick truly matters. So the, what you believe about life and its meaning about God and what you don't believe about God affects how you live. And we want to actually discuss these kinds of topics um, in, in a robust way. And we want to be able to interview some really, really good people around these different topics. So for our listeners, this is a pretty much more of a, a probably a Christian podcast per se. It's about how to have conversations uh, with uh, with other people, but it is you know, still going to be helpful in many, many ways, no matter where you're at, is to have robust dialogue with with people in in a really good way. So, and tonight we've got uh, Sam Chan joining us over Zoom from Sydney. How's it going, Sam? Very good. It's sunny, blue skies, gorgeous outside, but we can't enjoy it. We're stuck in lockdown. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> How is uh, things in, in sunny Sydney? Well, you got to take the positives with the bad, and I guess the beautiful thing is there is no traffic right now, but we can't <laughs> get out there and enjoy it. I remember last year in lockdown, petrol went down to 80 cents a litre. Because Whoa. none of us were driving or going anywhere. But then you couldn't enjoy it. You could not fill up your car because your car was already full with petrol and you weren't going anywhere. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's so cheap. It's gone. I feel like it's progressively gone up. It got my hopes up when it was like under a dollar. I was like, yes. But um, So tonight, before we get into conversation, uh, I wanted to wondered if you could tell us just a couple of minutes, a little bit about yourself and, and what you're most passionate about. Oh, wow. So I was born in Hong Kong, but my parents moved to Australia when I was just six months old as a baby. We spent two years in Darwin, six years in Adelaide, and then the rest of my life in Sydney. Uh, for those of you who do know Sydney, I, we started in Camelotown, then went Lumiere, then Minnow. That's one station at a time in the outer western suburbs of Sydney. Then I ended up studying medicine at Sydney University, worked as a doctor for about four years. One thing led to another. I had a career change, ended up in theology. So I did a master's of theology in Chicago that turned into a PhD, taught for 10 years in a Bible college. And for the last ooh, seven years, I've been at City Bible Forum, where I guess we just um, help workers ask the bigger questions about Jesus. That's so cool. So I... I originally heard of you, Sam, uh, when I was at Bible college myself, and I heard about your book, uh, Evangelism in a, in a Skeptical World. Um, and when I read it, it was actually phenomenal because this kind of stuff really, really interests me. I love researching culture and kind of what's happening around me and how we can actually have robust uh, conversation with, with the culture around us. And what I found it such an eye-opening book about kind of modern-day evangelism in kind of a post-Christian culture. And um, you've recently got a book called How to Talk About Jesus Without Being That Guy, which is a great, great title. And I've actually really enjoyed reading that. Super, super practical, very, very um, approachable, kind of no matter who you are, really. Um and I'm hoping we can maybe chat a little bit about both both your books or just uh, the knowledge that you, you pour into that. Um, but I kind of wanted to know what, what led you to write those books? Why, why do you have such a passion for evangelism? Oh, it's so much. Like, I think it's in the DNA of every Christian to want to tell their friends about Jesus. 
uh, deep down as Christians, I think we believe that, oh, you know, there's so many things that bring good into the world, like education, health, good government. But ultimately, if people can come to know, love and worship Jesus, that will lead to real change. But mm. at the same time, we realize something's changed in the air and we're mm. not meant to talk about Jesus, especially in public. It's very good if you want to believe in Jesus, but keep that to yourself in the privacy of your own home. But talk, don't talk about Jesus in public. Otherwise, you become that guy. And so it's almost yeah. like Australia has become what I call an unofficial de facto closed country. You're not meant to talk about Jesus in public. Mm. So you're writing books to, to really help people kind of open up those conversations in, in a really healthy way. And I thought to get started, I actually wanted to read just a, a couple of paragraphs of your new, of that uh, of the book of how to how to talk to about Jesus, sorry, uh, without being that guy to kind of get the conversation started. And then in, in the introduction of your book, uh, you say, and I, I'm reading it because I found it really relatable. I think I've met so many Christians with this kind of feeling. And you write, we want to tell our friends about Jesus. We're told that we need to tell our friends about Jesus, but we don't know how to do it. When it comes to evangelism, we are scared and helpless. And then you go on to kind of talk about how for a very long time we've lived in a Christian culture, um, ever since probably Constantine uh, till very recently we've lived in a, in a Christian culture. And this is actually, now that we're living almost in a post-Christian culture, uh, you write that this is kind of why evangelism is actually so scary. And it's why it's actually awkward. Um, because the methods of evangelism that worked so well in the past actually no longer seem effective today. What worked in the age of Christendom seems ineffective in our post-Christian age. And then you go on to write, worse, the culture of our post-Christian age has a negative view of personal evangelism. Our society sees evangelism as offensive, inappropriate, or even insensitive. And this leaves us in a difficult dilemma. If we don't tell our friends about Jesus, we feel like we're not doing what Jesus wants us to do. But if we try to tell our friends about Jesus, our efforts feel clunky, awkward, and weird. As a result, we rarely evangelize. We're worried we'll lose friends or offend family members. We don't want to become that uncle or that, that guy. Um, so, And I thought that really summed up quite well uh, what many, many Christians feel. But before we dive into um, how we can actually approach this culture, I wondered if you might be able to kind of take us through, like, how did things change so quickly? I think about, um, I know you, you've talked about this before, but you even look... I don't know, 70 years ago when Billy Graham was kind of at his heights and and just preaching to, to masses of people. So how did it get from from that to, to kind of where we, we are today? Yes, yeah, so uh, as you read in the book, uh, I talk about how there are three recent, well, there are three things that show us something has changed, you know, the air has changed. So the first thing is this, I share how I'm actually old enough I was at Billy Graham's Last Crusade, 1979. He came out to Australia and it was wow. Billy at his best. Billy gives the 20-minute Bible talk. Afterwards, he tells people, hey, if you believe, pray the prayer, come down the front. At that moment, the choir gets up, sings Just As I Am over and over again. And Billy gives his famous line. He says, the buses will wait meaning come down the front, don't worry, the bus you came on will wait for you. And at that moment, we all laugh, we roll our eyes, oh, Billy, that's so cute. But then I thought about it, the buses <laughs> will wait. That means the non-believer who came that night to hear Billy Graham came on a church bus. The non-believer back then was a churched non-believer. So they, Billy was telling them something that they heard had heard a hundred times before and Billy was basically saying, come on, you know this is true. Don't you think it's time? Believe it. And I think back and yeah. I think, yeah, I remember when I went to a Baptist church as a boy in the outer western suburbs of Sydney, more than half of my Sunday school class were non-believing children from non-believing parents because that's what you did back then in the Australian culture. Even if you weren't a Christian, you dumped mm. your kids on the local church so they could child mind <laughs> them on a Sunday morning so you as a parent could at least sleep in and have the morning to yourself. <laughs> then I think my church soccer team, more than 90% were non-believers. 
the Friday night youth group, more than half were non-believers, meaning the non-believer back then was a churched non-believer. But now the believer today is not a churched believer. They're an unchurched uh, non-believer. They, they're not a church non-believer. They're an unchurched non-believer. So that's the first thing that's yep. changed. The second thing that's changed is, and I learned this from Rico Tice, a gifted UK evangelist. Rico yep. Tice says there have been three phases in recent Western evangelism. Phase one was the Billy Graham phase, where Billy's telling people what they already have heard a hundred times before. Billy's saying, come on, you know it's true. Don't you think it's time? Believe it. The second phase is what we call the defeater belief phase, where people know what Christians believe. They've heard it a hundred times before, but they can't believe it because of defeater beliefs, things that stop them from believing. It could be, you know, the problem of evil. Uh, what about other religions? Or I can't trust the Bible. So evangelism meant we had to remove those defeater beliefs one by one, and then our friend would believe. But now we're in the third and most recent phase of Western evangelism, and it's this. Rico Tice describes it this way. Our non-believing friend is over here in their own universe. We as believers live in a separate universe. The non-believer doesn't know what we believe. They don't care about what we believe. And deep down, they're worried that what we believe is evil, wrong, bigoted, and hateful. And we're, mm. we're the bad guy. And so evangelism now means we have to actually have to promote belief and woo them over mm. to our universe. And we can see how the defeat of belief phase was Timothy Keller's reason for God phase, like that book was Good removing book. defeat of beliefs. But Timothy Keller's most recent book is called um, on making sense of God, where he's trying to promote belief, give good reasons why mm. you want to believe the Christian gospel. The third thing that's changed is this, and Tim Keller describes it this way, we have never been here before. We've been in pre-Christendom, we've been in Christendom, but for the first time ever in Western history, we are post-Christendom. And all the methods of evangelism that we used to do in pre-Christendom and Christendom no longer work in post-Christendom. And just as an example, we all talk about how in pre-Christendom, the Christians won over all the hearts and minds of the non-believers by caring for the sick people in the pandemic. But now in post-Christendom, Post-Christendom, in the pandemic, I heard about how Samaritan's Purse set up a makeshift hospital in New York's Central Park, and they were chased out. They were kicked out because of their conservative really? beliefs in uh, sex and marriage. And so yeah. what had worked in pre-Christendom no longer works in post-Christendom. And Tim Keller says, yeah. we have never been here before. And I think that's why I decided to write these books, because I thought, you know what? blank slate as much of a blank slate as we can be let's start yeah. all over again and just be missionaries to our friends in the western post-christendom world and use all the tools that missionaries themselves would use you know how to analyze culture how to contextualize yeah. how to storytell and reach the post-reached post-church post-christian <laughs> world as if they have never heard the gospel before yeah i mean it's such a such a wide, huge change in such a short amount of time. Like I even like I'm only 29, but I, even since I was like an early teenager, I can still I can already tell the difference in kind of the tone of culture and um, what's happening around us. So I guess with the kind of knowledge of that we're in the post everything culture, basically. Um, how do we even approach, I guess I want to start a conversation of how do we approach uh, doing evangelism in that kind of state where it's not even just kind of like, okay, you can have your belief, but actually I, I don't really want to know about it. How do, how, do you, how do you do it? Yeah, so in my book, How to Talk About Jesus Without Becoming That Guy, I give eight very quick tips. And tip number one, I say we need to just begin with merging our universes. So often we think if only I can have the drop the mic, silver bullet, win the argument moment with my friend, they will become a Christian. Or if I can give them enough facts, evidence and data, then they will believe and they'll become a Christian. But I say mm. how in tip number one, one of the reasons why our friends aren't Christians is they actually have no Christian friends in their universe. Uh, and so one of the things we can at least do 
uh, before we even try to tell our friends the gospel is introduce our non-believing friends to our, our, our believing friends. I talk about how we have two separate universes of friends, yeah. our non-believers, our believers. So when our non-believers go off to the movies, we go with them. When our believing friends have a barbecue, we go with them. But I thought, why don't we merge our universes? So when our non-believing friends go off to the movies, we invite our Christian friends along. When our Christian friends have a barbecue, invite our non-Christian friends along and bit by bit merge our universes. So we only have one universe of friends. And then yep. for our non-believing friends, one of the reasons why the gospel seems so unbelievable is not because they haven't heard it before, but they probably haven't, but because they had no Christian friends in the universe. It, at the mm. most, they have one, us. We're the only bozo they know. But if suddenly they have five <laughs> bozos who believe in the Jesus story, they'll <laughs> start so to say, awesome. hey, this is way more believable than I thought because five of my trusted friends also believe the Jesus story. Yeah, okay. So kind of step one is actually bring people into their sphere that have common beliefs like yourself. And is Do you have any kind of a little bit of advice of how to almost uh, prep your friends? Because sometimes being uh, how, to, how to be sensitive in that situation, do you have any kind of advice for talking to your, to your Christian friends about how to not be that guy. Yeah, I, well, at City Bible Forum, whenever we run public events, uh, we're, we're assuming it's going to be a mixed audience of both non-believing friends and believing friends. And that's where the role of the MC is very important. The MC has yep. to say things like this. Now, you know, at City Bible Forum, we put on events for people of all faiths, all traditions, all cultures, all religions and and so you are very welcome here we're going to present things from a christian worldview but we don't presume that anyone here is even a christian so we just ask yeah. for one thing from people during question and answer time be sensitive in your questions because many people here will not share your faith traditions and beliefs so that's what we yeah. do at public formal gatherings with city bible forum so we could do yeah. the same in private gatherings with our friends like at least Tell our Christian friends, hey, I'm putting in a barbecue, uh, but I just want you to be sensitive because many people here would be my friends who aren't Christians. So just be sensitive that you will yep. be talking to people who don't share your worldview, your traditions, and your religion. Yeah, yeah. No, that's good. I mean, we've, we're have we about to do Alpha at the church that we do this at, and one of the things we said this morning to, to our church is that if you're bringing someone along, just be really conscious of your Christianese language, like all the different words that we learn growing up in the church and, and uh, growing up, uh, sorry, uh, being a part of this culture for so long, you just get used to using all these theological words. And one thing is to kind of just be really conscious that most people probably won't know what that means. And it's going to sound pretty weird. So that's really, really cool. So what else, how else can we approach this? So we can invite some, some friends to uh, 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 non-Christian type things. And, um, but what, what, what else would you suggest? How do, we, how do we reach them? Oh, well, tip number two from the book is go to their things and they will come to our things. And I've, in the chapter with tip number two, I share how I have a friend. Well, well, I share I have a friend called Andrew, and he's always putting on events where he's asking me to speak at these events, so Christian events, public events, where someone's going to get up and give a Christian talk. And whenever I turn up, Andrew's surrounded by a group of non-Christian friends, many non-Christian friends, different non-Christian friends, and they're always happy to be there. And I say, afterwards, one of these, I said to Andrew's wife, what is going on? How come every time I turn up, Andrew has managed to bring some non-Christian friends, different ones each time, and they're happy to be there. And his wife, Jackie, said, oh, it's simple. We're always going to their things, so they're happy to come to one of our things. And mm. so that means we've got to... First of all, we've got to treasure friendships for what they are, a good gift from a good God yep. to enjoy. They're not a means towards an ends. Uh, one of my yep. friends called Lewis from my church, he makes the joke that the greatest miracle that Jesus ever did was not rising from the dead, but he was a man in his 30s and, and he had 12 friends. And that means you know, it's a miracle <laughs> that we have any friends at all. So we've got to yep. treat friend, friends as a good gift from a good God to enjoy in and of themselves. Um, yeah. So they're not a means towards an end, but at the same time, we don't want to underinvest in friendships by never taking up any opportunities to tell them about Jesus. 
We don't want to yeah. overinvest by only seeing the friendship as a means towards telling them about Jesus, but enjoy the friendships for what they are, good things in and of themselves. And one of the yeah. ways to enjoy friendships is just go to whatever they invite us to. Just go. If it's a birthday party, go. If it's a fundraiser, go. If it's a Tupperware party, go. If it's a school trivia <laughs> night, go. Go because you'll have a great time. Uh, you yeah. have a friend that you enjoy hanging around with. But at the same time, because we go to their things, they will come to our things as well. Yeah. So there was one night, it was Christmas Eve, everyone on my street, uh, they were off to the local Roman Catholic Mass for the Christmas Eve service. And then I said, can I come along? And they, was, they were surprised because they knew I wasn't a Roman Catholic. And they said, okay, sure, come along. And I, and I went with them. <laughs> and on the way back, they said, wow, what did you think of that? I said, that was really good. That was really interesting. And then they asked me, well, what do you do for Christmas? And I said, funny you should ask. I'm the guy who gives the Christmas talk at my local Chinese church. Would you like to oh, come? And they all said, yeah. yes. And they all came on mass <laughs> to my Christmas service. And they did this for the next wow. few years. You got to understand, one, they're not Chinese, but they're coming to a Chinese church. And two, let's face it, Christmas services are usually <laughs> eight or nine in the morning. Who can wake up in time for a 9 a.m. service? But they all yep. came and they came because I had gone to their things. So they happily come yeah. to one of my things. Yeah. So it's almost like building that natural rapport and being a natural friend. So it's uh, I've kind of sensed this for quite a while now is that it, there seems to be going back to your kind of three stages that you were talking about where Billy Graham type of thing I saw a lot of it, what comes to mind sometimes is the people that have the signs and things like that on the side of the road or they're like that street evangelism and it's not always like bad I'm not put it down I'm putting it down entirely but it feels like at one point that used to work where you didn't actually need much rapport with someone to kind of go, hey, come to know Jesus. But now are you trying to kind of say now that we're in that post kind of culture, it's actually a lot about, uh, in a sense, showing God through how you're just actually being a friend. You're actually just building the rapport with them. Yeah, and if you think about it, even in the Billy Graham phase, even in the Billy Graham phase, we say, oh, you know, again, why can't we do it like Billy did, a 20-minute Bible talk? It was so simple, so efficient. But even in the Billy Graham phase, they came on a church bus, meaning they came with believing friends. They didn't walk yeah. in by themselves to check out Billy Graham. Yeah. A friend who they hung out with True. invited them. Yeah. And so they were already, they already had Christian friends in their life. Their universes were already merged. You can't get more merged than a church bus. And so all I'm saying <laughs> is why don't we recreate those days where our friend will come on a church bus so recreate yeah. the community my wife and i we, we we have been blessed by god with so many fantastic non-believing friends like we, we have this abundance of just fantastic friends most of them aren't believers but what we've noticed is most of them have only moved into sydney in the last two to five years and that's mm. the nature of western life now we're so transient we're always mobile and that means most people actually have only just moved into the area in the last two to five years. Most people actually don't have a trusted network of friends. So sociologists yeah. talk about every human being needs a tribe. It's yeah. called Dunbar's number. And for a tribe, we need a tribe of 150 members. Yeah. We also need a uh, an inner, we also need a circle of friends of about 30. And then we need a trusted inner circle of about five people. And yeah. studies show that almost every Australian not only doesn't have the tribe, not only doesn't have a circle of friends of 30, they don't even have a trusted network of five friends in their life. Wow. Someone that they can ask on for a favour, like an emergency babysit, or can you drive me to the hospital, or can you help me move house? And that's why we all drive 20 minutes to the shops to buy milk rather than ask our neighbour to borrow some milk because we don't <laughs> yeah. have a trusted inner five of friends. Yeah, okay. And studies yeah. show, I think um, 60 to 80% of Australians say they're lonely, they're not connected, yeah. and that loneliness is a problem. Uh, other studies show it's oh, yeah. the latest health epidemic in the West, more likely to kill you than smoking. And so what I'm saying is it's actually really easy right now and a good loving thing to do to move into our friend's life and become that trusted inner five or inner 30 of friends and just just yeah. make friends and be a blessing to them just by being a friend
Yeah. How do you, that's really good advice, but how do you kind of, how do you do that authentically without seeming like you have some hidden motive behind it all? Again, just seeing a friendship for what it is, a good gift from a good God to enjoy. And Proverbs has so many verses about this. And I think just invest in the friendship, be Jesus to them. Don't underinvest, don't overinvest. And and these moments will come. I think I'm always thinking of that parable of the the servant uh, or the faithful servant. One servant was given one talent, one was given three talents, one one was given five talents. And every time I'm with my friends, I'm thinking, is this a one talent moment? Is it a three talent moment? Is this a five talent moment? Am I going to stand mm. before God and God's going to say, I gave you a five talent moment. You know, you, you, you could have told your friend about Jesus at that moment. Yeah. And you think, you know what? Yep, you're right. That was a five talent moment. Other times yeah. I'll be these little one talent moments where really um, your friend is just asking to borrow a cup of sugar. Just give them a cup of sugar <laughs> at this moment. They're, they're in a rush. This is not Do the you know time about Jesus? to try to tell them about Jesus. Yeah. Okay, so there's a sense in which we, uh, I mean, it's, it should be reasonably obvious to the Christian, but there's a sense in which we're actually relying on God to help us in terms of navigating the conversation. Yeah, or, totally. Um, so always praying, always being open. And I think God uses us in our various giftings and personalities and also recognizing the context. What sort of context is this? Again, is it one talent, three talent, five talents? But I have friends who are just very good at introducing Jesus into a conversation. And they say mm. things like, well, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you come across as awkward about talking about Jesus, they're going to be awkward. But if you come across yeah. as come across as open, this is natural, they're going to yeah. also be natural and open about talking about Jesus. That's how my friends yeah. work. That's their personality style. I've got to admit, my personality style is the complete opposite. I ask leading <laughs> questions. I ask questions like, how are you going? In the book, I call it the power of the second question. How are you really going? Giving them permission to be safe and vulnerable and talk about how things are really going. Then asking what I call nudge questions. What do you think it all means? Where do you think you're going in life? Um, Do you have a faith? So give them permission to talk about the sacred and the spiritual. My friends have an even safer question. It's what religion did your parents raise you with? And there they can Mm. just describe without prescribing any values. And then when they talk about their faith, I might even ask them, how do you worship? How do you pray? What do you think it all means? And at some stage, they will flip it to me. And and they will say, well, what do you think it all means? Do you have a faith? What religion did your parents bring you up? And that's my permission now to talk about my faith. Yeah. Do you have around that kind of uh, way of kind of what I saw you just say is that you almost ask a lot of questions, if that makes sense. You're not actually telling them very much. You're actually just shaping questions to ask them what they think about those kinds of things. Have you got any kind of uh, advice on how to how to do that well? Because I find... and it's something I've learned over time and I'm not perfect, but I used to be someone that just used to say a lot of stuff. It's just like, this is your answer. This is all you need. This is this, 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 and this. But I found that most people don't listen when you do that. They're kind of just like, all right, yep, cool. Don't tell me what to do. Um, or, but rather you're kind of asking them questions so they almost come to their own conclusions on it. And then, like you say, ask you a question. But have you got any kind of strategies or advice around how to do that well? Oh, yeah. So in the book, How to Talk About Jesus Without Being That Guy, I talk about the power of asking questions and then listening to their answers. And I also share in the book that we should evangelize like counselors. How would a counselor evangelize at this moment? Mm. In the book, I talk about how up until now, if you went to Bible college and you took a course on evangelism, you got trained in two ways. One was how to give the 20-minute Bible talk, like a monologue at a Christian event. The other one was how to walk up to a stranger on a university campus and again, preach at them in a monologue. But what do we do in this third space in between? How do I tell my friends and family about Jesus? So here I can't monologue at them like I'm a preacher. I can't talk to them like a stranger. How do I do this space in the middle? And I say, well, here we need to pivot and shift from not not evangelizing like a preacher, but evangelizing like a counselor. How would a counselor do it? Well, they would do it through not monologue, uh, 
but dialogue, conversation, and you do that by asking questions. And I went to this evangelism conference last year online at Wheaton, the Billy Graham <laughs> Center, and almost every presenter had just discovered this fact in the New Testament, and it was that Jesus himself asked about 300 questions. Jesus yeah. himself was asked 200 questions, and Jesus only answered a question directly eight times. Instead, he always answered with a question. You know, Jesus, mm. by what authority do you do these things? And Jesus goes, I don't know. I, by what authority does John the Baptist do his things? Jesus, yeah. should we pay taxes? I don't know. Show me a coin. Whose head do you see on this coin? So he answered with yeah. a question. I know yeah. there's a prominent UK politician a few years ago. He lost his job as a leader of the party because in a press conference, he was directly asked about his Christian faith. Is homosexuality a sin or not? And based on his answer, he lost his job. He looks back wow. and says, I don't know. I, I didn't have to answer that question. I could have answered with a question something like tell me more what do you mean by sin let's take it from there yeah i think in the book i share where i myself once was at a crossroads in life i had to decide whether to stay in full-time medicine or go into full-time ministry you can of course do both but not both full-time so i had to decide okay full-time medicine or full-time ministry and i asked all these well-meaning christian friends for advice and when I met them, they monologued at me. They gave me facts, evidence, and data and reasons. Yeah. And I walked away underwhelmed. I thought that was very unhelpful. I don't know why I asked for advice. They gave me advice, but it was unhelpful. Then I met a friend who was a chaplain, a counselor. And he, I said to him, I could stay in full-time medicine. And then he just asked me a question. You could, couldn't you? And without one question, he unlocked me. And I knew I didn't want to. And that's what counselors yeah. do. They ask leading questions where you yeah. yourself come up with the answer yourself. You do the hard yeah. working in your heart yeah. and mind. And they find that that is how people change beliefs through this motivated um, reasoning through, through questioning yeah. rather than direct advice coming through the front door, but just questions through the side door help people. Mm. Do you have... I guess it would be a sense of uh, seeing how you go in each conversation, but do you have any way of kind of guiding, uh, what am I trying to ask? Do you have any kind of strategies around how far to push with questions and when to kind of go, oh, like, I guess what I'm trying to ask is, is there, sometimes there's an expectation that you, you meet up with someone and you finally get to have a conversation about Jesus and you're asking good questions and you're doing that, what you just talked about. But then you're kind of like, oh, how far do I push this? Or like, oh, I feel like a failure because I didn't quite get to where I was. Do you have any kind of thoughts on that? Well, first of all, I think all we're doing is producing one jigsaw puzzle piece out of yeah. many. And sooner or later, the pieces will fit and everything should make sense. But it takes a long time. And I don't yeah. think we need to panic and, and walk away thinking, I should have, could have said this. Uh, that's like replaying an argument in your head. It wouldn't have gone that way anyway. And often we yeah. re replay conversations. Oh, I could have, should have said this. No, it's all right. Just trust God in his sovereignty. Trust the yeah. Holy Spirit. He will use what you just put there. Again, we think evangelism is like, oh, there will be a drop the mic, silver bullet, golden meme moment where I said this <laughs> one thing and boom, you know, disbelief will just shatter and people will believe. I don't think it works like that. The other thing yeah. is, Sooner or later, after we've asked one or two questions, we've shown we're good, safe listeners and we're trying to understand and empathise. There will be this moment where they will ask us a very direct question and they will say, what do you think it means? Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and, you know, it, so I think two or three questions in, they will ask us a really direct question back. So it yeah. could be even be simple as someone will say, what do you think about other religions? And I would say, why do you ask? Like, like before I launch into my pre-rehearsed, you know, golden bullet, silver bullet, golden yeah. meme answer. <laughs> I know, why do you ask? And you might find their reason is very different. You know, they have a grandmother who's a Buddhist, you know, you know yeah. and then they're, oh, that's why you ask. And at some stage they will throw a question at you like, um, 
well, what is grace? What is grace? I get this a lot now. What is grace? And again, you go, well, why do you ask? And maybe they heard it in a hymn or maybe yeah. they read it somewhere. And then finally you say, okay, this, this is what it means. And that's your golden moment to give them the gospel. Yeah, that's really, really cool. That's so helpful. Thanks, Sam. Um, I, I wanted to kind of switch a little bit. So in a, in a world that seems to be uh, almost doesn't really have a lot of uh, Christian thought behind it, if that makes sense. It doesn't have a, a background in, in Christendom, as you said, um, and kind of has very little knowledge about it. And you have a chapter that's uh, titled Telling a Better Story, Make Them Wish That Christianity Was True. So I guess my question, I wondered if you could go into that a little bit and uh, how, how do you do that when, particularly if you've got someone who's just almost straight up, nah, I don't want, I don't want anything to do with it. Yeah, so I, in the book I talk about, I make this joke how, you know, if you go to any Australian university, the first thing you notice on campus, it's, it's all Asians there. You know, wow. You know, there are more <laughs> Asians here than Asia. Uh, then, I, then I make the joke, well, wait to go to the Christian group on campus and it'll only be Asians. You'll be the only Anglo in there. What is going on? And it's because the gospel is a better story for Asians. That's why they're believing. And it's the same story in Africa, in Latin America, mm. the Middle East. Right now, Christianity represents freedom. It's a better story. The Asian story is, you know, me and my family, we used to believe in evil spirits. We used to be superstitious. We used to be trapped in an endless cycle and need for success and status. But Jesus has set us free from that. I'm so glad we found Jesus. I wish my friends could also find Jesus and discover the freedom we have. The Anglo right now, they've got almost the anti-gospel, bizarro gospel story where it's my family and I, family and I used to believe in Jesus. We were trapped in evil fear, superstition. We had to go to church on Sundays. We had to obey mm. authority figures, believe in outdated views on morality, family and tradition. But we stopped believing in Jesus and we've been set free from that. I see my mm. friends who still believe in Jesus. I feel sorry for them. I wish they too could stop believing in Jesus and find the freedom yeah. I have found. So right now, that our non-believing friends think they have the better story, a better story Mm. of love, freedom, hope. Uh, But what we can do is show them, actually, we have the better story. And all we have to do is show them things that they want to be true. And all Mm. our non-believing friends believe in things like love, purpose, dignity, hope, human rights, freedom. And we can show, actually, you know, without God, without a loving, powerful God behind this universe, there is no such thing as love, freedom, purpose, hope, dignity, human rights. Yeah. Uh, but with God, not only do we have those things, but we have a better story than something we dare dream, imagine, uh, or believe in. And so yeah. for the previous generation, maybe 50 years ago, Christianity was the better story because it offered them forgiveness, uh, freedom from guilt. You know, that's what Martin Luther discovered Um, but for the present generation, Christianity represents the loss of freedom. But what we can do is, you know, this, there is freedom in Christianity. So I love telling them the story about Jesus turning water into wine. I've done this with quite a few (laughs) Uber taxi drivers. And I I tell them, I I say, I'm going to tell you a story that even Christians don't know what to do with, especially Christians in a Baptist church, right? And I grew up in a Baptist church. You're talking to one. (laughs) I said, this is a wedding where people were drunk. The Greek actually says they were drunk. The NIV tries to hide it by saying they had had enough. But the original Greek says they were drunk. And here's Jesus coming them, coming and giving them more wine. Well, you and I would not have done that. We would have said, hey, buddy, I think you've had enough. Try the orange juice. Yeah. <laughs> and Jesus, if he did it, even in Australia, in secular Australia today, he would have lost his responsible serve of liquor license they would have taken his liquor license away (laughs) but jesus comes and gives more wine more good wine and too much more good wine they had 12 barrels left over and each barrel is like 100 liters right and i say to them why would jesus do this and they have no answer and i say it was there are many reasons many reasons but one reason is jesus is showing us what life will with him life with Jesus will be like both now and the life to come. So if you think that by following Jesus, you will miss out, it's the opposite. By not following Jesus, 
we will miss out. And Jesus mm. comes to give us forgiveness, uh, but and way more than that, freedom, yeah. dignity, purpose, hope. So it, it's fascinating right now in almost all well-being studies, they're saying that people need forgiveness. We need forgiveness. We need forgiveness. But then people are also pointing out right now we live in a society where there is no forgiveness. Like if you get cut out by your tribe or cancelled, there's no coming back. And that's why no one says sorry anymore. There's no point saying sorry. No one's going to forgive you. So our tribe won't forgive us. Our enemies won't forgive us. We can't forgive ourselves. That's why we walk around so broken these days. But with God, there's forgiveness. So that's at least one thing we can offer them. I'll share another story. Julianne Laird, who's in Melbourne, who's probably the most gifted evangelist in Australia. Uh, Julianne Laird uh, has led so many people to Jesus. And she she was city to city, a church planning thing now, but she used to be with AFES, uh, Australian Fellowship of Evangelism to Students. And she used to work at a campus in Melbourne. Yeah. And I said to her only a few years ago, maybe three years ago, I said to her, what's evangelism like on a uni- on a university campus right now? And she says, it's amazing. So many people are becoming Christians. And I said, really? Uh, are, are they Asians? Because it doesn't count if they're Asians. <laughs> and she says, no, 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 these are these are Anglos. So I said, oh, okay, real conversions. She said, okay, I, she joked, okay, yeah, real conversions. <laughs> I said, what is going on? And she says, people are finding purpose in Jesus. Right now yeah. they turn up to a university campus and they have no purpose no direction. Yeah. They don't know why they're here. They know what they're yeah. free from. They're free from the authority of their parents, from the church, yeah. from teachers, but they don't know why, what they're free for. Why are they even yeah. here on a university campus? But in Jesus, they discover that's purpose. So that, that, that's, that's one way of telling a better story. Uh, just while I got, I, I'll keep going. So yeah, go go. This is good. At my church, I go to West Sydney Chinese Christian Church. Every February, we run a thing called Feb Talks. We've done it for oh, I've lost count now. I, I reckon it's been over ten years. Every every wow. February, we try to come up with four topics, one for each week in February. Uh, something that I can speak on that we can br- invite our non-believing friends to hear. And yeah. sure enough, 10 years ago, it was all defeat of belief stuff. How can I trust the Bible, the problem of evil, the problem of science? And, and then bit by bit, we have noticed it's morphed into how do I tell a better story? So this year we mm. did a road map to life. So week one was why am I here? So that's purpose. Week two yep. was who am I? So that's identity. Week three yep. was freedom from anxiety because Julianne mm-hmm. Laird told me that's another reason why a lot of people are becoming Christians. Uh, not that Christians can't be anxious. We suffer from yep. anxiety like we suffer from asthma and diabetes. But there's a different anxiety that comes from not knowing God. And Jesus offers yeah. us freedom from that. And then week four was a simple question. What do I do about God? Like I know he exists but what do I do about God? And I got that question from Julianne Laird as well. She's my best researcher. She says that's another reason why people are checking out Christianity. They just want to know what to do about God. Yeah, that's really, really cool. So it's kind of shifting away from here's the evidence, here's what you need to know to almost going, this is actually how this really makes sense of life and can actually give you a lot of purpose uh, along the way. That's really, really cool. I love your examples as well. Um, Conscious of time, but wanted to you do a fascinating chapter on uh, how to like do disagreements well, and uh, for us people that don't like confrontation or disagreements, me being one of them. Um, well, how do you how do you navigate that when you're when you're talking about uh, Jesus or just in conversation, really? Yeah, we all hate arguments. I'm a people-pleasing Asian and I hate confrontation. <laughs> but in the book I say, you know, confrontation, well, not confrontation, but disagreement is going to happen sooner or later. It happens in friendships. It happens in marriages. It's bound to happen when we talk about Jesus. So it's okay. Embrace it. Lean into it. That's what a true friendship is, where we can talk yeah. about points of disagreement. But when we disagree, it's important to know our friend isn't going to change their mind because we can argue them and win the argument. Yeah. Like no one yeah. changes their mind because we gave them more facts, evidence, and data. We won the argument. In fact, psychologists show that people will double down on their 
present belief uh, because they just don't want to lose an argument. We have this lost a version. We will rather double down on our wrong position just so we don't lose the argument. So what we do instead is, and I learned this from hostage negotiation, believe it or not, (laughs) uh, you just ask questions. You say, hey, what are you looking for? Why is this important to you? Uh, Why do you think we see things differently? And what would it take for you to trust me? So the example I give is what are you looking for? And let's say our friend says, you know, I'm for marriage equality. Then we could say, oh, wow, why is this important to you? And they will say, oh, because of human dignity, human rights, love, freedom, justice. And then we could say, wow, I too believe in those things. And then the third question is, so why do you think we see things differently? And that's where our mm. friend is forced to come to our mountaintop, into our universe, assume yeah. our worldview and see that's things good. our way. And they might say yeah. something like, oh, it's because you believe we're more than atoms and molecules, that there's a God behind this universe. We're more than mm. the sum of our parts and we don't get to make the rules and we've just got to trust God in matters of morality and justice. And then they would say something like, oh, up until now, I thought you were just a bigoted jerk. But now I see it's because (laughs) we see things differently. You believe in a transcendent loving God, whereas I don't. And then the fourth is the the fourth question is the most powerful one. What would it take for you to trust me, the Bible, Jesus or God? And that's where they could say something like, you know, I was very hurt by the church in the past It's going to take Mm -hmm. a lot for me to trust the church. And up until now, we thought, oh, their problem was the Bible. We just had to prove how reliable the Bible was. Their problem is actually trust. We actually have to apologize, say sorry, and and win their trust back to the church in, in that particular example. Yeah, that's really, really quite helpful. I love it how it almost explores or gives the gives a chance to kind of find out what the underlying kind of premises behind their questions are or what their assumptions are. So that's what I'm trying to say about uh, the Christian faith, about what we believe in. Because I often find that is the thing that we're trying to almost, it's like the first hurdle. You're just like, what do you actually think about what I believe and how can I speak into that type of thing rather than assuming that they, uh, rather than assuming what they believe. So that's really, really helpful i'm thinking about my my i'm a i'm kind of a a learnt extrovert but i'm more of an introvert um have you got any advice uh uh, for my introvert friends of uh how to how do you go about this when it's just so intimidating how do you have conversations where you're like oh my goodness are they gonna are they gonna hate me are they gonna do this or like oh i just want to go home and sit in my room type of thing um have you got any advice for the introverts in the room oh plenty of advice because I don't know if you know this, Matt, but I myself am a massive introvert. So my wife is what they call a quiet extrovert. She doesn't say much, but she loves being with people. She's the last to leave the party, whereas I'm what they call a loud introvert. I'm exhausted by people. I want to leave. I want to be the first to leave the party. (laughs) I'm always begging my wife, please, can we go now? (laughs) And it just shows God wires us all differently. So celebrate yeah. being an introvert. By definition, half of us have to be introverts anyway. I reckon yeah. Jesus was an introvert. My favorite verse is, well, my favorite book and my favorite chapter in the Bible is John chapter four. And it begins with Jesus going to the well where he ends up meeting the woman of Samaria. But it says Jesus, tired as he was, sat down by the well. I think Jesus was peopled out. He did not want yeah. to see another human face <laughs> He was tired. He wanted to sit down by, at the well by himself. And that shows that the second person of the Trinity, he was, he was exhausted by people and it's okay. <laughs> it wasn't sinful to be exhausted by people. He was simply being human. And it said he sent the disciples ahead to do the shopping, meaning you, you do the <laughs> shopping. I'll stay in the car. You go out. You get the milk. That's basically what Jesus did. Uh, but then yep. he meets the woman and then even Jesus then has to come out of his, his introvert shell and has the most amazing conversation. And I think that's yep. how I found life. I, I never want to meet a person. I never want to have a conversation. But every time I have one, it really, really goes well. And I thank God yep. that I, he brought me out of my shell. The other thing is 
the, the other, well, my other favorite verse, and I, I've got two favorite verses, like having two favorite kids <laughs> or three favorite kids, right? Um, is that one where Paul says we are jars of clay. So we're yeah. mundane, we're ordinary, but God uses us. And it means that God will use us not despite our introvertness, not despite our social awkwardness, not despite our shyness. God will use us because we're socially awkward, because we're introverted and because we're shy. Somehow people have much better gospel conversations with shy Christians than loud Christians. I think that's just how God works it. And at City Bible Forum, I've noticed that when we put on events, the Christians who end up being able to invite their non-Christian friends are usually the shy, awkward Christians. So somehow God mm. works it that way, that he uses us because we're shy and awkward, not despite our shyness and awkwardness. So you're basically saying that introverts are better than extroverts, yeah? <laughs> yes, I am. There's a great book <laughs> by Susan Crane. I don't think she's a Christian, but she calls it... Oh, something like loud or no quiet it's called quiet how to survive as an introvert in a world that won't shut up (laughs) that's great and she's actually got a whole chapter where she examines how western evangelical churches are built on the premise that you are an extrovert like you know you got to stand up and sing you got to greet the person next to you that sort of thing yeah (laughs) which half the people (laughs) in the church are like oh this is the this is the moment i'm dreading (laughs) Oh, no. no, I make a joke about that when I do the notices at church. Often I'd be like, I'm sorry, guys. I'm going to do the awkward church thing. You're going to say no. hi to someone next to you. Um, anyway, we digress. I'm gonna, we're going to take a little break in a moment so we can do some uh, Q&A. Um, so make sure you head to the website, guys, uh, and here and online if you want to check that out and uh, ask Sam uh, any question burning on your mind. Um, but, Sam, thank you so much for all that download of knowledge of um, and wisdom that you, you've learned over time. And honestly, we really appreciate that you could speak into our lives here um, and online as well. And for those of you who are listening, if you found this helpful, uh, we would love for you to be able to share it with your friends or subscribe if you found it helpful. We don't want to be popular per se, but we just want this to help as many people as possible. But thanks, Sam. And uh, we'll take a five-minute break and me and you can chat and uh, you guys can get up, stretch your feet, go to the bathroom, put in your questions, make sure you get it and vote for the ones that you want to hear first. <laughs> 